The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Morning today's show may include adult language. Now here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve Ewald. Welcome everybody to the newest episode of the Church of Roy podcast. This is your host, Steve Dewald, and we have a special guest today, um, Eric Griffith. But before we get into that interview, I just wanted to preface this show with we did have a little bit of audio quality issues at times i hope it's not too bad um eric is a excellent cap guru we talk about some of the moves the blazers made what those contracts look like and what it means for this team moving forward and how joe cronin kind of operates a little differently than our good old friend neil olshay so i just want to pop on here before we get to the normal show to let you guys know there is a little bit of audio issues in a couple spots here. There was some spotty weather where Eric's at right now, but stick stick with it if you can because it's worth it. There's a lot of good information in there. Um, so here you go. I am joined by a special guest today, one of the people who I kind of went under his wing at Blazer's Edge originally. He, I, I know if I know anything about the cap, it's because of Eric Griffith who is joining us today. Um, you can find his writing in several places uh, on Twitter, breaking down the cap, and then uh, the Willamette Weekly. Also, he has columns on there. Um, a must read in the Blazers' sphere. So, Eric, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? It seems like the the off season is winding down just as it got started. Is what it feels like. I am honored to be on the best named podcast on the internet for the best player in Trailblazers history. So it's great to be here. Just just buttering me up right when you get on there. But, you know, I, I'm not, not you think... know, it's not buttering. It's a fact. Those are just two facts. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We are, we are true believers in the true number seven over here. So I, I think I just want to jump right into it because I've always really trusted. I don't know if we've always seen eye to eye on everything, but I really trust your insight and you explain your points very well. Um, 
Let's just talk about some of the basics of what the Blazers have done. Your thoughts on it. Our, our listeners have heard what I've had to say about it for a couple of weeks now. Um, I want to get your take, and then I want to get more into some of the cap situation going forward, the dynamics going into this team, and what it looks like going forward. So real quick, unsurprisingly, Yusuf Nurkic and Anthony Simons are returning to the Blazers. Um, what do you make of their contracts? What do you think of their roles going forward? And was it smart money spent by the Blazers here? Um, I think this is the theme that the Portland Trail Blazers have had going on for a long time. And that is that in isolation, both of those contracts are fine. Like you look at it and like maybe I think Ann was coming in at like 23 million to start for his agent. So maybe 21, if there's a bonus or two in there somewhere around there, that's fine. Nurkic got a raise, went from 12 or I think he had 12 or 14 up to about 17. Also fine. Like like Ant is a 20 point per game scorer. So, you know, there's, they're, they're more common now than they used to be, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Nurkic is a legit, like medium range starting center. No issues. I think the problem is that we don't necessarily know how well all of those guys are going to fit together. Um, specifically with Simons, we've already seen the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum thing. And so you have to ask, are we just, you know, replaying the same record for the hundredth time? And then with Nurkic, he doesn't do well when he's not a focal point on offense, and he doesn't do well when he's asked to be, like, the defensive anchor. Um, it's hard to see him being anything more than fourth option next year, given Jeremy Grant's attitude on offense, and it's hard to see him not being a defensive anchor with that lineup. And so you have to kind of wonder, what's Nurkic's situation going to look like by game 50? Mm-hmm. Uh, on, the, on the Nurkic front, I, I totally agree with you there. I think there is some worry here that, Grant is going to absorb more of the defensive spotlight, hopefully. And then offensively, uh, I mean, you're paying your backcourt a bunch of money, something we've seen before. My hope is, I, I think we have a thread the needle here, is I think there is room for secondary playmaking with this starting five. And I hope Nurk is happy being a connective player, hopefully, and maybe take some pride in his passing. Uh, you know, take a take a page from his former teammate, Nikola Jokic, not nearly to that same level, but hopefully he can mimic some of those things. So um, I agree. The, the money, I think initially, I think with like Ant, I think when we saw the report that it was the four-year $80 million, I think for some people when they saw it was $100 million, it was kind of a bummer. But I think when you kind of get over that and realize – you know, what CJ's money would have been in the same situation the next couple of years, I think that that contract becomes more palatable. But of course, the big worry is, what does it look like on the defensive end? Which I think kind of transitions into... Oh, but hang on, next- Steve, I want to jump oh, on a no, point that ahead. you made by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, you're, you're, you know, you're pointing out, like you're comparing him to CJ and you're comparing him to CJ's contract. And so the important mm-hmm. thing that I didn't say that you just hinted at is CJ's making like, you know, whatever he's making, 32 million or whatever and he's older, and so trading C.J. McCollum for positive value, kind of the the ship sailed on that a couple years ago, whereas Simons is young enough, we may see more opportunity for something like that Paul George plus three first-round draft pick trades that everyone was dreaming about with Simons. And so by hitting reset on Lillard's backcourt partner's age and contract, at least you still have that flexibility. So that is, I'll give them credit for that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I think I talked about a little bit on the last pod, but I think it's basically CJ is over $30 million, close to $36 million at the very end of his contract. So definitely recouping some flexibility value there. And and like you said, 
maybe this this regime doesn't hang on a little too long to a piece that might be uh, worth moving. Um, but to address the defensive side, the Blazers go out, they use their mid-level exception to go get a, a guy who was in camp with the Blazers a few years ago, but go and get Gary Payton II, who completely rejuvenated his career in at Golden State, became a defensive linchpin, um, was really valuable for them down the stretch, was part of their rotation. Unlike a player the Blazers targeted with their MLE previously in Derek Jones Jr., Gary Payton II managed to stay in the rotation for a, a title contending team. So what's your thoughts on Gary Payton? Is that good value? Do you Are you worried about position? I think this is kind of the rub with Gary Payton is, are you so much worried about the position? Or are you more worried about the accurate value of that mid-level exception? Definitely, definitely the latter. I think the, the, the reason the Neil Shea slash Damian Lillard era failed in Portland um, was two things. One, failure to use those mid-level exceptions. And I mean, it's multiple things, obviously, but I would highlight failure to use those mid-level exceptions on players who will be with your team for multiple years and making an impact and also lack of value on first-round draft picks. And so they've already corrected a mistake that Olshay was prone to making. We know that we know what Gary Payton Jr. brings to the table, and we know that he's a legitimate NBA player, and the Blazers needed legitimate NBA players. So that's a win. And I don't care about the positions yet because they're too shallow to worry about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Exactly. We're, we're going to get to that point a little bit later uh, again. But, you know, absolutely. It's a, it's a point that I, I think when you're trying to build a team from the ground up, which in a lot of ways that they're trying to do here in Portland. I mean, you were behind the ball and assets – uh, flexibility. I mean, if you look at six, seven months ago, that's where this team was. You can never have too many players that were in title contending rotations not too long ago, like especially with this team and where Damian Lillard is right now in his trajectory. This is the exact type of player you want to go out and sign. And then, you know, piggybacking on that, I think the biggest move of this offseason outside of, I think, re-signing Anthony Simons is going and trading that Bucks pick that they got in the CJ McCollum trade to go get Jeremy Grant, um, that apex wing defender, something they always kind of wanted Robert Covington to be, but was kind of a, a round peg trying to fit into a square hole of what this team needed. Um, your thoughts on Grant, does it move the needle? Do you think that 
it has delivered on some of the promise that Cronin had, or at least some of the ideas we had when Neil O'Shea departed this team? So I think number one, it was a like Jeremy Grant is a legitimate NBA starter. You were going to have to pay him soon, but like that doesn't change the fact he's very talented. And they got him for a few second round draft picks and then probably a garbage first round draft pick. So kudos, great trade. Um, so like, I think you have to start it with that by saying it's a great trade. Um, I think what you worry about is how much of a difference maker he is on defense. Like if we're grading him on the curve of Al Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, then sure, he's, you know, he'll be, he'll be fine. But if we're grading on the curve of getting all NBA defensive team votes, that's not really who he is. And I kind of worry the Blazers need more of the latter than Al Farouk Aminu again. No, I, I see that. I think also too, I, I think there's something that we saw going back to the bubble where the Blazers just had to put Gary Trent Jr. on LeBron James for long stretches. And this team just did not have a player that could guard those type of wings or forwards. And, you know, it might not earn a lot of, you know, NBA all defensive team votes, but I think he fits more of what you were trying to do with Robert Covington, a player who had made those all defensive teams. Um, And then I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about shade and sharp. Not so much that I think you're, you know, this big shade on sharp fan or done a lot of research, but you were someone who was advocating that, don't underestimate the value of a controlled contract here. Don't rush to trade that number seven pick for a poo-poo platter of veterans, something that I had a hard time containing myself going into the draft. Like I just wanted, I wanted veterans. I was comfortable with the Blazers picking a little later, but um, I would imagine you're probably pretty happy that the Blazers stuck there, took a very high upside player uh, adding to that talent base. Tell me a little bit about your reaction to getting shade on sharp. So I think the Blazers, as we're evaluating them, I'm like, I'm pretty happy with this offseason. Like, as far as offseasons go, it's, you know, solid. You didn't get the all-star trade, but no mistakes. Um, and so part of that, though, is the, the limitation is that they don't have a lot of opportunities to draft more players in the future because they're going to probably hopefully, you know, at least make the play in next year. And they have to give up a pick to Chicago. So we're not looking at another lottery pick like this for quite a while. So this is really their only chance. And also, they're not a lot of salary cap space either. Once Jeremy Grant is added, they're not signing max salary free agents. They're going to have to trade for them, which is fine. And so when I was looking at it, the only way to add an all-star caliber player without having to send out either, you know, half your starting lineup and three more draft picks is to draft one. And the higher the draft you are, the more likely you are to get that guy. And they got a guy with all-star upside, which is what they desperately need. And so I'll take that over rolling the dice on a veteran, you know, finding his form at age 24 any day. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, J. Kyle Mann really changed my perspective on here, really kind of talked me off the ledge of some of the stuff I was worried about with Shaden Sharp. Um, someone who'd done a lot of homework. If you haven't listened to that episode of our show, it's a couple episodes back. Definitely worth the list, especially his portion that he's on the show. So just judging by what you've said already, you know, they properly used the MLE. They went and traded and got a, a functional player for this roster in Jeremy Grant. They used their bird rights to retain Yusuf Nurkic and Anthony Simons at fairly competitive prices. Um, got a rookie controlled contract uh, with star upside and shade and sharp. I want to talk about that last piece that we were kind of sold or, or not really sold, but at least was up for discussion a lot coming into this offseason is the Eric Bledsoe contract. I, the sun is firmly setting on, on that being an asset for the Blazers. 
So first, I want you to talk about, are you, are you disappointed that they weren't able to use it or did they just address things in other ways? And then two, can we discuss a little bit about hard capping and what that means for this team as far as flexibility that was still available for them this offseason when people were still kind of clamoring? Was it the door already shut? So take it away, Eric. Yeah, so um, I wasn't, I didn't really expect them to use the Bledsoe contract and the $20 million CJTPE that they brought in um, Grant on. Uh, just if you look at it, that's that that already is putting you way above the apron once you factor in all the other guys and they're going to pay Grant next year. Um, and so, even you know, billionaires are billionaires. They can absolutely afford that. But at a certain point, having that many contracts um, does mess with your ability to build your roster. And so I was looking at that and a little worried that all they were going to have was, you know, a bunch of guys on 20 plus million dollar salaries. And I, I have a feeling that Cronin didn't see a player that moved the needle to justify that kind of outlay in terms of flex, like future flexibility. And um, so I'm not surprised they didn't, they're not, they don't seem to be poised to use Eric Bledsoe's contract. Um, we have a few days left, so who knows, but as of now, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And then as far as the hard capping goes now, the Blazers are, as it currently stands, how the, I mean, once the moratorium ends and like these deals become official, they will be hard capped by by the way they use their MLE or can you just explain this a little I know you've done it a bunch on Twitter but can you do it for our listeners and just what goes into that process so once you use one of your exceptions so the trade I'm sorry the mid-level non-taxpayer mid-level exception or the biannual exception or you receive a player in a sign and trade once you do one of those things I think there's a couple others on the list you cannot exceed the hard cap or the um, tax apron. That right now is at $157 million. The Blazers are at, uh, depending on if they, so if they stretch Eric Bledsoe, so if they do end up cutting Eric Bledsoe, they're about $5 million below that line. So assuming Bledsoe's gone, they still have $5 million they can use to sign a 15th player. Um, and they have a $4 million biannual exception left to fill up space. And then they would have a little bit left over to cut one of the young guys and sign a veteran for the minimum at the deadline if they chose to. So I think, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's not a bad spot to be in. They could still use the biannual exception. Um, the only way at that point that the hard cap would come into play is if they wanted to make a trade and receive more money than they sent out. Um, but that's a pretty, you know, that's, we're getting into like, you know, not not outlandish scenarios, bringing into scenarios where you don't want to lose an opportunity to sign a guy using your biannual exception or your full mid-level exception. You don't want to lose Gary Payton because you're thinking you might have a trade in February. And so once they signed Gary Payton, they said, we are set at $157 million. And that's something, don't get me, if I'm mistaken, correct me, but that's something that we were, we've seen O'Shea be a little bit of gun shy to do as far as, I always felt like Olshay was always aiming towards that deadline deal and not so much really trying to go for it in the off season. I mean, we saw him really try to make a living of, you know, the Rodney hood, you know, type trades at the deadline. Am I, am I off there or is that pretty much an accurate depiction of, of the old? Yeah. And so there, there's kind of like this paradox going on in my head where I don't necessarily think the Blazers have more talent now than they did a year ago, 12 months ago. I don't necessarily think the Lillard and Simons 
pairings any better than the Lillard and CJ pairing. Like, I don't know that the Blazers have improved in the last 12 months from a pure talent perspective, but at least we know the general manager is currently willing to do like to take advantage of all the tools at his disposal. Cause Olshane never took it, like rarely took advantage of every opportunity. Like he often would let the MLE go unused or he wouldn't use the MLE. Like he wouldn't sign a player to multiple seasons using the MLE, very basic things like that. We've seen that Cronin will make a trade for a 20 plus point per game score. We've seen that Cronin for better or worse, will trade CJ McCollum. And we've seen that he will use the mid-level exception. So even if the Blazers haven't improved, I'm more hopeful that they have the potential to improve based on the willingness of the general manager to, to, to do something for lack of a better term. Yeah. I think that this, this group for better or worse is, I think for the better, especially when you're in a smaller market is not risk averse in in any way. And and I think it, it just comes down to, like you said, using all the tools you can, because in a small market, you have to, if you're leaving a stone unturned, you're doing the fan base, you're doing your star player, you're doing the entire organization a disservice. And I think that's the thing that it's hard to point to one specific move. I mean, I can point to a couple extensions with Neil O'Shea, but one specific move that really just sunk the whole ship for me with him, but it is that combination of everything of, of leaving stuff on the table when you didn't have to. Um, so, you know, I, I'll praise for Joe Cronin. Now, to keep it in perspective, I think there was a, a certain segment of the fan base that thought this team was going to be able to instantly flip towards contention after tanking last year, you know, trading, a, you know, three of your starters and, and going and just trying to cultivate all these assets. It doesn't look like I, I'm in the same boat as you. I, I think from a talent perspective, this team's different. I don't know if they're better. I don't know if the ceiling is higher. Um, so was a one-year rebuild on the table for you for this team to flip into contention or what should be the main focus or what should we be thinking about in this conversation as fans of this team? Uh, I don't, I, I don't think a one-year rebuild was, was ever on the table. Um, they simply did not have enough talent. Uh, if we look at the, the bench is still pretty, I'm not going to name any names, but it's still pretty dreadfully shallow. I think going into that Jeremy Grant trade, like you could make the argument, the Blazers had like six legit, proven NBA players on the entire roster that is not a team and then they and also so and also they have one all-star who's coming off of surgery that's not you know LeBron teaming up with Giannis and signing 11 other guys that's a very that's a very shallow team that needs multiple years to rebuild that depth using tools like the MLE so I did not think contending next year was on the table and so I think the the what you hope for is is that sharp works out and you hope that um, some of these, you know, there's more, um, you hope you can identify some more of the weaknesses that you want to correct as you're balancing the roster this season. So, so looking forward now, you know, we've, you've mentioned it already. The assumption is Jeremy Grant, part of the reason why the Blazers were so hot to get him and why he wanted to come here is Portland's willing to give him a new contract here. So let's say the contract comes in just maybe a little over what he's making right now. Looking at the Blazers' cap sheet moving forward, where do you see the avenues for improvement for this team? I mean, is it, it are they going to have other things available to them on the fringes, or, or what does that look like? They, they will not have cap space anytime soon. For it'll be four years. Um, Lillard's making going to be making over forty. 
Grant will be making 25, so that's 65. Add 25 from Simons, that's 90. And add 10, like, you know, 15 more for Nurk. You're at 105 million on your starting lineup. And you still have to, you know, you still have to add literally the, the next 10 guys. And you're, you're very, you're already butting up against the salary cap. They will not have cap space. Um, so they will hopefully, they, they will have an exception every year. So they'll have that mid-level exception or the taxpayer mid-level exception, depending on how high the salaries go. And then they can make big trades. And what we're seeing is as of right now, nobody on the roster is really a negative value trade ship. I don't think unless, you know, depending on how a team feels about Simon's, which means that big trades will be available because they don't have to like dance around a contract nobody wants. And I think also too, just when you're talking trades, it, it feels like this Blazers team by using multiple years on an MLE for Gary Payton, they have the correct like cash slots and years remaining on those to make trades work where I think, you know, sometimes the will share, you never knew which way it was going to be going. And then you see them, combine you know mo harkless and myers leonard for hassan whiteside which that just became an albatross of an asset that, that they had a really they couldn't move they didn't move so as far as you know the cap wise what's available just looking at the basketball side of things is there a position right now that you're worried about going into this next season that you would like to see portland maybe address with that biannual exception or is it just more of the same in your eyes? What we've already seen is just collecting talent, getting the best value available that's out there on the market. I, I think for the rest of this season, it's collecting talent, unless, you know, unless the, the Aiden trade, you know, that you're able to negotiate something like that, um, which is also fine, obviously. Um, more than fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and I, I think if 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 they're if they're like so operating within the self-imposed limitations of saying we're going to have Lillard and Simons in the backcourt, you have to have an All NBA defender. And I agree with everything you said, Steve, about Grant being like at least he might be able to body up to LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with everything about that, but I still think he needs to be your second best defender with those two with those other two guys. So I, I think if you're talking about balance, like starting to put an eye towards balancing the roster when the, when the opportunities present themselves, that is what needs to be the highest priority. Short of like, you know, short of an all NBA guy, of course, who is just, you know, on a different level, of course. Yeah. 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 No, I, no arguments there. I would love to have Deandre Aiden at this point. And, and it is wild that, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to see him actually get signed. That's what's the crazy part is. Um, it's wild that this, seemed like it might actually be an option for the Blazers very briefly. Like I allowed myself to think about that. Oh yeah. I, I entertain in my, in my rumor or my like likely outcomes or like rumor rankings. I, I was very high on, I think Aiden might be a possibility for this team, which does speak to how different of a situation we are in now, which is something I want to talk about because I think it's something we both got burned out on at our, at our time, time at Blazers edge was um, basically this team was the same thing over and over and over again. How excited are you or how can you put it into words that we're actually going to see something different uh, this coming season? Um, yeah, I'm very excited. I, and I, you know, I think it cuts both ways because it's going to be interesting no matter what, because there's also some potential for some real disaster. Um you know, we, we, we saw that, that the, the, the game plan for the first half of the season before injuries from the current coach was not ideal. 
Um, that's putting it generously. Um, you know, teams hunt more. Now they like, if you have two gar- bad defenders in the game, you're just, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're out of luck. Cause they're going to, they're, they're going to hunt both of them at that point. We saw in the playoffs, that's a, that's a deal breaker. So I do think like in a worst case scenario, all the bad stuff could come together and they could miss the playoffs again. But I also think it go really well. Like I think they could, you know, push up to 50 games, maybe sneak into a five spot. And I have no idea. And that, yeah. that at least is interesting. You know, like it, it's just not knowing what's going to happen. is more fun than knowing it's going to be 40 something wins and five games in the first round again. Even if it, even if it doesn't go well, at least it's different. Exactly. And that's, that's where I've been with this team for, for two, three years going into this was, I just want to see something different because I know how this movie ends. Um, it, you're going to get to the postseason. You're going to see these guards get hunted down. Um, like you mentioned, um, I am at least hoping that Anthony Simons can become a passable defender, but I mean, he is one of his off ball stuff is still pretty atrocious. So, so we'll see what happens this year. Um, I guess the thing I want to, is it more likely he becomes a, is it more likely it's him or, you know, CJ becomes a neutral defender. So at least there's that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess the last thing I want to kind of talk about is the, the news of today is Jody Allen, um, had a a press release today um, coming out and saying that you know it could be 10 to 20 years there's no real timeline on selling this team and in the meantime uh, she is committed to doing whatever is necessary to create a winning team in Seattle with the Seahawks in, in Portland with the Trailblazers um, I, I I know neither of us are experts on this but it just seems it just seems like more posturing in the media with we know the Phil Knight offer is out there. We have Adam Silver coming out and saying that the sell the sell of the Blazers is going to happen. So any, any thoughts, thoughts on, 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 on the Jody Allen situation? I mean, I have I have no idea what's going on to the same extent that you know you just described. Um, I mean, I, I think I just immediately assume that they want to sell it for three billion dollars and they see that as a possibility with the upcoming TV money coming in. Um, so I just, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe she likes owning the team. Maybe she's super involved. I think Eric Gunderson said that, like was guessing that on Twitter earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it seems like the, you know, money talks. And so you kind of have to assume it's that, but yeah, it could be, you know, it could be any number of things that we're not privy to. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm just ready to turn that chapter from the, the Jody Allen saga and see what the next ownership group looks like. And, 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 you know, Phil Knight is not a perfect owner. I mean, I think when you're talking about billionaires, you, you can, uh, you don't want to dig too deep or you're going to find some unsavory stuff on anybody, but um, I'm ready for, I'm ready for a change. Um, quick episode today. We, I wanted to get in. I want to, Eric is, pound for pound what i love to talk about and i always learn something hopefully somebody learns something as far as hard capping goes you should definitely hang on to that audio but eric thank you so much um do you have a brandon roy memory you want to share since you're on the church of roy i I know i'm kind of putting you on the spot or or thoughts on brandon roy since it is it is the show we'd like to ask guests that um yeah i think you know, I think that first Christmas game he played in Portland against the Sonics was really cool in hindsight because it was against the Sonics. They wore the green and red uniforms. And it was really like after, you know, it just really the first time it felt like the Blazers were back in quite a while, I think. So that's my favorite Brandon Roy game. Not, you know, it's not his best game. It's just like one that stands out to me as memorable. Yeah, yeah I, I, 
I think that's the part of the Brandon Roy legacy that is so underrated. Or, I mean, it's underrated in certain circles, but how much he really did put the Blazers back on the map. And, you know, those primetime games, those Christmas games, um, the highlights from the Rockets game of him hitting, you know, the 50 footer, like those are the stuff that brought Portland basketball back from a very dark place. (laughs) So um, Eric, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, We'll have to do this again when I have Brian on, because I know he's going to have questions as well. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. And while you're at it, go follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod. We'll see you next week.